Good morning. My name is Dina Jabor. I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning from Titus, chapters 1, verse 11, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and 11 through 15. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you to God. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Good morning to you. Good morning. And uh, 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 Brad, I'm impressed by that Jeep you built out there. I mean, when I saw that, I thought it was gonna be like Disney World in here, but it's just church, you know. Um, can people sit in that? Okay, so this is what I want y'all to do for me. No, just kidding. Um, I want y'all to, um, if you have kids, big people, stay away from that thing. You're too big to get in there. It, it can hold you? Okay, so if you're big and you can get in it, but make sure you can also get out. Uh, that, that was my fear, getting in and not being able to get out. Um, but why don't you take a picture with you and your family in it or the kids in it and then Instagram that thing, Facebook that thing and let people know VBS is happening. Y'all heard what I said? Go out there, take a picture, pose with that thing. And the, the lights work on it. The headlights work. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And that's only a small piece of what Brad has built for VBS. So. Um, be prepared, y'all. Take lots of pictures. But go ahead and Instagram that thing and um, send it to grandma, granddaddy, wh whoever. Just out to your friends and invite them to VBS. Um, <clears throat> but we continue the book of Titus this week. Originally, um, Titus is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his mentee, if you will, in the ministry, Titus, who is sent to establish and lead the church on the island of Crete. As we saw last week, Crete was a wild place when it came to spiritual and religious teachings. 
there were Greek philosophers coming with their popular theories of the day. Then you had the circumcision group, a highly legalistic and confused group of so-called Bible teachers. And then you had individual church folks trying to make sense of things on their own. This letter is a message of spiritual health and correction for those who have been or had been spiritually injured, alienated, or lost. And the Apostle Paul, uh, I would see him like a chief spiritual health care administrator, okay? And he tells Titus to put other ordained and called by God spiritual caregivers, called elders, to, to oversee and establish the churches, spiritual hospitals, if you will, there, there and continue the process that God had started in the life of the Cretan believers. And while Titus, as a bishop of sorts, and the elders as local ministers and caregivers were important, it was equally critical that all believers played a role in the spiritual health and vitality of the church. That the gospel, the gospel, God's message and ministry and power for living in this fallen world happens in and through the interconnected lives of people who are in different spaces and different life stages, providing that specialty spiritual care to one another. We see this call to specialty spiritual care encouraged in three ways I want us to focus on today. First, we must recognize the diversity of life stages. Secondly, we must address the challenges of diverse life stages. And finally, we must share the responsibility of God's grace in diverse life stages. In verses like uh, verse 11 in chapter 1, the verse, first verse we read, Paul describes these false teachers and, and teachings that were going on as upsetting whole families. In, script, in other uh, translations, whole households as being, uh, in doing so for evil and selfish purposes which tells us that the messages people were getting created an environment of neglect, of looking out for yourself, of personal survival, of kind of making the gospel work for yourself and, and created a lot of chaos. And so you can understand then why that would upset households and household relationships that actually depended on people caring for and respecting each other. We're father and husband and mother and child and grandma and granddad and community and caring for each other was central to the holistic health of individuals and the household as a whole. Now, when I first read this passage, as some of you may have had the same reaction, just because I went to seminary at Covenant Seminary, right? It, it doesn't change the, you know, when you read a verse like this, and I've read it many times, it never gets old, that feeling. Like, oh no, this group of verses, right? That I've heard used in so many, it's that tradi the traditional roles beat women down and overlook the singles and single parents, not privileged enough to stay at home mom passage, right? That fuels and has fueled so much vitriol and sadness and alienation from the church for those who don't find themselves explicitly mentioned in these passages. Man, this has been a terrible passage for the church in so many ways. 
in the way it's been applied. And the churches we go to have followed suit in some way, right? Catering to, to young families and youth and married folks as the church gentry, leaving everyone else behind and treated like second-class citizens in the church. This is not what should result from applying this passage. It is not about limiting the attention and calling to these we see here, or that you are only important if one day you become like a, a, a housewife, right? Or teaching that there is a life stage less useful and less important to the church and to God. This passage, I am going to argue, is calling for the opposite, right? It is calling us to recognize, to acknowledge and address the diverse, diversity of life stages that the Lord is at work in and desires to work through. Look at verse 11 and 12 in chapter 2. Listen to what it says after he points to these individual places and says, you know, older women should teach the younger and all of these kind of things. And it seems to have this, this, this grid of care and it leaves out so many people who don't fall in these categories. But look at what it says in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people training us, that would be all people, not just young women, right? To, to, to training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right? Considering the fact that Paul mentions and addresses many more life stages, spaces, and cultures in other parts of the Bible in different letters, y'all, along with what we see here in these two verses, it tells us that here in Titus, he's singling out certain groups and putting them in categories to give them a shout out, either because they are good examples for everybody, or they are a large group at the church, or most likely, based on what we saw in verse 11 in chapter one, they have been most upset and most targeted and attacked and shamed in who they are by the twisted teaching and instruction going on. So there is a principle, a prescription, not a limited description. Here he gives to Titus and to church leaders that are their primary spiritual care people, these elders' primary care, uh, primary spiritual care of people, that they make sure there is specialty care for those in different life stages, for those in different spaces. And we're going to wait till next week to discuss chapter, uh, verse 9 about living in the workspace and how that fits. But I mean, think about it. Think about the medical world. We, we have who? We have the pediatrician, right? right? We, we have the internal medicine person, the surgeon, the OBGYN, the geriatric specialist, the nutritionist, the pharmacist, the nurse, the dentist, the healthcare managers, and on and on. It is important to our health, and some of you have in your life had every single one of those medical specialists I mentioned needed to be healthy throughout your life. And the Apostle Paul is saying, the same is true in the church. For the care of God's diverse people, it is why you see sometimes a crazy number of ministries in a church, right? 
children's and singles and marriage and men's and accountability group and women's ministry and nursery ministry and women's Bible study and, and, I, and even affinity and cultural gatherings and groups that some of you have between each other to encourage one another in unique ways in the faith. But I believe in Titus we are given freedom and a call to establish and encourage and make sure there is guidance for different ministries and relationships as needed for that diversity of life's stages in a church. Titus is pointing to the importance of, of diverse spiritual lives being properly and specifically addressed in a ministry and for the ministry as a whole. Not so they can be separate from the common or the community, but so they won't get relational gangrene and fall away from their place and connection with everyone else and then in turn fall away from the Lord. And so while there are some things we all get uh, through the primary care of elders and pastors, the scripture calls out the need to recognize the diversity of people, and in this case, life stages in our church, that must connect to each other. I'm going to thank God, not brag, but thank God, and at the same time, beg for God's mercy for the diversity we have at Christ Central. Awesome diversity. Wow. And, and recognize diversity of life stages and spaces, and spaces and culture. But man, God have mercy on this place. Because the individual needs in a church like this are so diverse. Man, that survey, y'all. You know, I had a pastor friend of mine say, y'all did a survey? Yes. You're crazy. You're going to split the church. You did a survey. You know what's going to happen on a survey. As soon as they put their part down, they think that's what everybody else is thinking, right? A survey is bad enough in a church that's all one group. A survey in a church like this, good Lord. Are you crazy, man? No, the church is crazy. Y'all want to be all up in here together? What? Though the majority of good things are good, we acknowledge and recognize as we should that not all life stages are feeling equally great in this church because we got so many of them. And we are burdened, yes. You know, it's funny. When you see the good things on a survey, that's great. But when you see the bad things, that's the stuff that stick with you, right? One bad comment or one thing that's, ah, oh, I want to quit, right? 70% of the people think it's great, but somebody wrote this in. Ah! We're failing. Come on, Amari. Y'all know us. We're failing. You know, some of that is, is unreasonable. You know, my personality, I just eat that stuff up. I go to sleep. I'm waking up thinking about it. You know, all that. Who said it? Who was that? Wow, right? There's this church insurrection coming, right? I'm out of here. And as crazy as that is, it's the correct heart that the elders and leaders in this church have for you. Know why? Not so you can get your way, right? Because it's God's way, right? Never your way completely. If it's your way, we in trouble. Or my way, we in trouble. 
but so that you aren't cut off from the grace of God in some way. That's the issue. That you aren't being ministered to in some way. That, that you're listening to some thoughts about yourself and your life stage that just aren't true. I was talking to my brother the other day. I think his family might be the only black family at their church. And very few his age with children. And we were just saying, would it be much easier to have a church all of one ethnic group? Ooh, I'd be dreaming of that sometimes. Come on, I'm regular law, y'all. I ain't supernatural, right? Jesus might be happy about it. Pastor Brown ain't always happy about it. I'm just a regular black man from South Carolina. So sometimes I'm like, man, if we could just have all black folk 47 years old, right? <laughs> with kids like mine who think it's strange if you don't have rice at every meal, right? <laughs> who think crab cakes are a breakfast item? Always comes back to food with me, doesn't it? Then the service would be the perfect length. The music, the right style. The Bible studies would always be on topic. And the applications would all be good. And we wouldn't have to listen to anything on that. Where everything would be perfect, right? You just walk in there knowing they're going to talk to you. Woohoo! this is great. This Bible study is just for me. And there are some churches started for people just like you. Filled with people just like you. Basically in and catering to the life stage you're in, but here it is difficult to say who we are catering to from day to day. You know, I have people say, where's the in crowd? Please tell me. I'm the pastor. I don't, I'm not even in the in crowd. Where is it? Please. Somebody, sometimes I see the young marrieds. I'm like, man, they think the coolest ones. Or the young, the single, the millennials walking in with the cool hairstyles. I tried to get some skinny jeans too. It ended just with the skinny jeans and they look right in it. <laughs> and I'd be thinking, man, if I was in that life stage, look how happy they are. Hey, Pastor Brown, you want to go, go get, you want to hang out and go get some tapas? What time y'all going? 1030. Shoot. <laughs> 30? 10.30 a.m.? No, p.m. Uh-uh. Y'all are not going to kill me. No. I'll be out there doing this. Right? Here's the point, though. We must, we recognize and should connect with the desperation and passion when there's people feeling left out and overlooked in a way that would separate them from God's gospel. See that? From the ministry of the body. Look again at verses. And, and, and so, don't look yet. And that is why, as we see here in Titus, the church and its leadership is called to recognize what God already does. That there are, second point, challenges in diverse life stages. Right? Look at verse 2 through 8 with me. 
We'll start at verse 1. But as, you, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and wives, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may, be, may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger women to be, sorry, already did the younger women. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent, an opponent uh, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Okay? So I think there's a, there is a sense in which a lot of commentaries put a lot of emphasis on we need to be an example for the world so they see how we live and they want to come to Christ. And that's true. But there's also a sense in which God's word being reviled will in turn make living for God um, not manageable, right? What you see here in this passage are people in different life stages called to care for others and then be cared for by others based on their age and stage in life. See that? Well, this calling, right, this care between and for people in diverse life stages was apparently, as verse 11 in chapter 1 says, upset, right? The actual connection and relationship between these people groups were upset by neglect along with some screwed up teaching instruction. And one commentary said this caricaturing of what it meant to be an old man, an old woman, a young man, and married mother. And it makes sense. That Paul tasked Timothy, I mean Titus, gosh, that's the other pastoral epistle, to, in verse 1, to teach what was in accord with sound doctrine. Don't be afraid of that word doctrine, okay? It's the application of God's truth to living, how you think, how you feel about yourself and the world. It's like the glasses you put on. It's doctrine, right? Because get this, households, right? Both church and individual families and the challenges of living in that life stage and space were being again neglected or abused in some way. And that is why I believe he describes in, in, in some way, right? And that is why rather I believe he describes the old men and women and young married with kids, woman, and the young men and their vices the way he does. He is saying, because of the lack of focused and applied teaching and training and discipleship and modeling of what it means to be an old man in the community and an old woman in the community and a housewife or a married woman or a young man, these folks, these groups were becoming and living anything but what the grace of God had called them to be. Without the teaching, Without the training, without the living discipleship of the gospel by the Holy Spirit, and with all the false and unbiblical teaching and representations of characters going on, old men, again, look at verse 2, we're just going to skim over it, may not be sober-minded. Get that? Without teaching? They may become undignified, 
out of control, not faithful, not loving and stable, and that all women would be slanderers and slaves to drinking as back then they had these comedy shows and the old women are always portrayed as drunk and, and gossipy. You know, they had this stereotype of the grumpy old man and grumpy old women who are walking around clueless and overbearing and embarrassing to everybody. And without specialized care, the young women would neglect and become disillusioned about being a wife and a mother and person who cares about her family in healthy ways. Let me say this. It means that because of sin and brokenness, because of all the like false stuff out there, y'all, you read online and the things you look at on TV. Some of us even look at like fictional shows on TV. And we're like, man, that's how a mother is supposed to be. What? Somebody just wrote that up in most cases, right? To keep you watching and longing for something that is just not true. People don't know who they are and why they are and what to do and healthily live out life in the life stage they are, they are in in healthy ways, y'all, if they are not encouraged by the gospel. Making a bold statement here, ain't I? If you don't have the ministry of this in your life, wherever you are in your life stage, is crooked. Like Paul says, you need training. Y'all, humble yourself and listen to this. It don't come automatically. Human beings are more than behavioristic. You know what that means? In the animal kingdom, they probably better mother and fathers than you because they're doing exactly what the behavior tells them to do. Right? But you, you're a complex human being which means you got some behavioristic things, right? But at the same time, it's not all biological. You have some emotional things. You have some spiritual things. And those things are all screwed up by sin. And then other people come and they open people up. Well, let me look at what a wife is supposed to be. In a, and sometimes they ain't even been no wife before. Oh, let me just put a book out and it sells as the number one bestseller, right? And people fall away from the truth. They begin to doubt and lose their sense of worth before God themselves and others. Because if you look at the things old men and old women as pastors are warned against, and then a young man out of control and a young woman who's married but have, apparently having a hard time knowing how or remaining faithful to love and be committed to her husband and children, these are behaviors that say we believe and our living, and we live like we have little or no or irrelevant value to community or any God up there. This behavior Paul is warning against is expressing that these folk don't think they are important to the Lord. That's why he says live godly lives. This is not about trying to be moral. This is about realizing you are a child of God. And there's something in their living, in their regular, everyday life stage living that makes, that, that, that's communicating they don't think they're important to the Lord. 
that their lives don't match with and mean anything or fit into the whole, into that big story, right? Into the community of faith, into the picture of God's work, that there is little hope for glory or fulfillment or the divine valued and touched and destined life that verse 13 describes. And so it makes sense why there could be apathy and anger and bitterness and hedonism and self-protecting and self-centered behavior. If you don't feel like you belong, you're going to do whatever you want to do. I'm not important. Why do I have to live godly? Right? I'm not important. Why do I have to care about anybody else? I'm not important. I don't have any self-worth. In your sense of identity, y'all, your sense of self-worth comes through what Scripture says about you. So any disconnect from here, right? <laughs> okay, so like, like an out-of-control young man, for example, this passage mentioned. And there's a lot of them in Charlotte, ain't it? Young people. I'm not going to just say men, young women too. Man, why are you, who do you think they build all them condos for? <laughs> right? For young people making some good money in Charlotte. I've been to some of the restaurants in 28205. The meat and two vegetables ain't, ain't as affordable, is it, Kelly? No, Lord. I thought sides came with every entree. How are you going to serve fried chicken and you don't get no two vegetables? <laughs> it must be a young, single, making money kind of thing. This is the new 28205. But anyway, that ain't got nothing to do with the sermon. But the point is like, oh, tapas. Tapas is just a way to say we can charge more for little things by themselves. And it just makes you get more drinks in between the topics. You'd be waiting for the next thing to come. Oh, well, I'll take another drink. 11 12 $13. Come on. And then after, let's go to the brewery. No. Okay. Grumpy old man. See what I'm saying? Where's my sides? I don't get no sides with this top tapas. Tapas. What'd it come with? I hate that. I don't even ask it anymore. I want the fish. What's it come with? What's wrong with you? We have small plates. You share. No, I don't want to share. Anyway, moving on. It speaks to this community piece, right? This, this, think about what goes on right now. Uptown and 282, all them condos built for young men and young women. So many of them in the spaces. And right at the bottom of the condos is a brewery, right? Right there are all the entertainment spots for young, mainly young men and women and, 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 and people who've become empty nesters and want to go back and move and be cool. That's us, Kelly, soon. How are you at, boys? Anyway. <laughs> but it's not much different today without any connection. Hear this, y'all. It's very sad. I want you to drive down Central Avenue or South Boulevard or, or go where these cool places are, where they sold, sold those, sell those tapas and breweries. Look through the spiritual lens of what Scripture's saying. These are people living without connection. Without eternal connection. And, more to, and, and without being connected to more to this life hope. A reality young men may be tempted to just be, you know, it's a reality that young men will be tempted to just be about running around, hooking up. That's why he says self-control. 
hooking up and drinking up and working without boundaries. I, I saw an article this morning on USA Today, and this will come more next week when I talk about work, but millennials are the group most unlikely to take a lunch break because they don't want to look like they ain't working hard. I'm going to eat. <laughs> so the way you get around it is you buy food for everybody, what the article said. So it doesn't look like you lazy alone. Working without boundaries. That's a lack of self-control when you don't eat. Right? And then and just trying to, young men just trying to get there is giving into all the sexual and entertaining passions and experience that come his way. While all the while being lonely and without deeper purpose. With no example. No guidance. No direction. No spiritual goals. And then one day he meets a girl, a young woman, shouldn't say girl, young woman, and they get married. What a disaster. And end up in marriage counseling. Boy, counsel's making a lot of money these days. Of course, a young woman, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, who's a wife and mother. Now, let me fix some of what this passage of how it has been wrongly interpreted Right? Because in, in some places, it's like the goal of a woman is to be a housewife. Right? And, and it's sort of like you meet a single person. Hey, can I, can I, can I get you to, I got somebody you got to meet. Like, yo, okay, I don't want to get into discussion about the singles thing. But Amari, you do, do such a good job and did such a good job the last time. But the goal of a person's life is not to get married. Right? Take it from a married person. I, I, love being, I, I love being married. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Marriage is a calling. There you go. Right? It's it, 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 not like, you know, that wedding day, awesome. The honeymoon for some, awesome. Right? But then you realize one day you wake up like, man, I'm called to this. Like, I'm making a choice to love today. Like a choice to go to work, okay? You work, right? So I just want to be careful that, that you think that Scripture, there's only one mandatory marriage in all the Scripture. Right? The church with the Lord Jesus. Right? Let's make that clear to y'all. Okay, so this passage, and I love the language when you look at the Greek. The, the language here is not saying women or a woman is a mother that, has to, that a woman has to be a stay-at-home mother. It's not what it's saying. Right? She could have been back then, but she also could have been wealthy and had nannies, okay? Or went to work outside the home too to make ends meet. Y'all know some of y'all got that sling y'all carry around. Y'all don't even know what's going on with the baby. I'd be at Target and the baby be on the back and all, and I'd be like, hey, want a lollipop? No, I'm just... And she's like, what's going on? Right? So, so there are women who, who work and carry their babies. I, when, when Kelly had to go back to work, I'm not a woman, but when Kelly had to go to work and, and, and I had to stay home with Harrison, we didn't do childcare. I was in my office, in the church office, with Harrison and a little, what's that thing called? The Bajoran or whatever that thing? And he'd be down in there, I'd be working on my sermon, making calls. Right? Sometimes it's like that. 
She could have been in a public arena in her role. I want to clear that up. But the fact that I had to clear it up should tell you that there are all kinds of myths and oppressive, ungodly, incomplete messages that have been made up about what a younger woman, mother, and wife must be. We saw this last week. You know what myths do that aren't the word of God? Myths are you kind of mix it with your cultural perspective, what you think you did would work good for your mama necessarily. Like, like it's not straight biblical. And it's kind of devoid of the gospel. You know what it does? It exhausts you. They condemn you. Only the gospel doesn't condemn. They take your true worth away. They make you want to run, right? Run away from and doubt doubt your life and make you lose hope because the gospel alone has power for living. These teachings are just unnecessary burdens on people, y'all. And so like Titus is having to deal with, people are leaving the faithful and good place in their relationships they're in. Wives and mothers are like, I'm out of here. I can't love my husband. Forget this. And some of the husbands won't even believe it. Like, forget this. I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm giving in. Or just losing heart without help and hope. And so Paul is saying, help with good doctrine. Make sure these women get help. It's hard living that way. Get the teaching they need. Give them the relational, specialized care they need in the situation they are in. The women's Bible study on Wednesdays here. I'm not usually here on Wednesdays. But when I am, I'm in my office. And y'all, there is a distinct noise of a woman with her kids coming down the hall, right? There's a high-pitched stuff, but then there's also this dragging sound. I don't know what it is. Like, just come on, I'm just just trying to get there. Mainly not all, but many young mothers, often with more than one kid, looking like they are needing a drink of water in the desert. And I've stuck my head out in, in, into some of those meetings, rather. And man, there is hope in there around the Word of God and around each other to deal with where they are in life. And that, the same should be true for all life stages as much as possible in our churches, right? That there be specialty relationships and applications and ministry from the general for the unique challenges, whether it's the singles. And I know about the singles Bible study, and that's awesome. We have going on and some of the social things a few of you are doing and college age get-togethers. And we've had youth group stuff and different cultural groups, especially here at Christ Central. And on and on to address the challenges you have within and without that would Depress your sense of worth and faith in the Lord and in his world. The only thing that has to be central is that we're gathered around the word of God. It's no secret that new churches don't focus on getting older men and older women. There's a sense on both sides. Look, I'm connected to church planning where I do some mentoring. I go to these meetings about it. Where youth is honored and worshiped to grow a church. And the younger, the cooler, and more vibrant and moving. And for some, it's it's a sign that God is really at work. And the more young with married kids is a sign of longevity. And in in that, our older men and women are overlooked and overrun and not cared for. Or not appreciated. Right? Hey, look, 10 years ago, Christ Central, maybe a little bit older, 10, 10 years ago, uh, uh, um, Bill, if you, you were there, we sitting around, you were the next, you were the oldest elder, you were two years older than me. Right? And we were in the life stage more like this young woman in the passage. 
everybody dragging their kids around. Soccer and marriages in that stage where you look at each other and say, I don't know. <laughs> we prayed, Lord, send some older men and women to the church. We don't even, none of these elders even sure they're going to stay together. The kids are killing us. We're working too hard. Wives suffering, right? Again, Lord, help us. We need, we, we need some help. And it's almost like, you know, this minibus pulled up from Christ's covenant. <laughs> In front of the neighborhood theater. I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and then so many of them had been elders and in leadership and deacons before. Thank you, God. You know, hey, and it was immediate. Like the other elders, please take our lives. What you think? We, we, we don't know whether we, we love each other anymore. And these kids driving us crazy. And the elders who had grown kids are like, it's going to be all right. <laughs> and they carried this church, y'all. Y'all hear this? They carried the church. I always wonder how churches don't make it and people fall in and took all kind of immorality and all kind of craziness along the way. And I think it's because they don't have this very important piece that you hear, see here in Titus. Young people, confused, trying to run a church. The devil is real old. Older than you. You know what else is older than you? Sin is older than you. You can't handle it. You haven't seen it all. We want to be a place in obedience to the word that would have multi-generational, intergenerational ministry as important to be done for to those who are older in the faith that the older would be encouraged to, be, to live dignified as believers in Jesus Christ that they would be, hey, listen, you who've been walking with the Lord for 40, 50 years who have suffered even death of kids or kids walking away from the faith or divorces and gotten remarried, thank you, Candice, and, I mean, or, or issues and gotten married and all that dealing with all these issues. Thank you, y'all. Without those stories, we got to care for those people. It's almost like I'm saying, please stay sober. Please be dependable. Which brings me to this. The Apostle Paul is calling us to care for the special care. Uh, Apostle Paul is calling us to care for the special um, diverse needs in our congregation by sharing the responsibility of God's grace. Okay, let me, let's look at this again, the pipeline here. Let's look at verse one. Um, verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge your younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, and this is the Titus and the leaders, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. The leaders with the word of God being taught, believed, preached, and modeled are given to train and rescue to make spaces and equipping people for discipleship. 
for passing on the truth, y'all, for ministering, for connecting community between the mature in the faith to, to those who are, have been where you may have been, who have been where you are and, and, and know where you need to go and what you need to know from the word. Become, they become a necessary relational part of your life. Look at the descriptions of the old man in verse 2. Sound in faith and then steadfastness. It means that he is there for you and me and can be trusted. Might be another way of describing an elder in God's church. But look at the older woman. The Bible says they are to be reverent in their behavior. Oh, this, is, this was revelation for me when I started looking at some of the original language. You know what reverent means? A priestess. A mediator of God's truth and grace. Right? Someone who exhibits and then through whom the word and blessing and ministry of God, it comes through them. Right? So it's saying, make yourself able to be a mediator of God's grace, older women, to what the young woman is doing in the care for family and household and husband and world. And a quick aside, quick aside, that's why we have women shepherds here. We believe God has called women to older in, we'll say older, but more mature in the faith, because I don't want you to be like Pastor Brown called me old. <laughs> mature in the faith. To be reverent among us. To be reverend, if you will, among us. To, to exercise their calling in the body as we see in the scripture here, right? To, to, to look at households. To Think about what the young woman's over. She is loving her husband. She is taking care of her kids. She is taking care of the household. She is in community. And so if you have a older woman or mature in the faith woman caring for her, think exactly what that older mature woman is influencing. Everybody. Okay, let me be careful because I don't want to preach another sermon. We're already running late. When it says, wives, love your husbands here and submit to them, I don't know whether we really embrace the fact that the most powerful tool of the gospel is love. This woman, the young woman, is in a position to change the world in so many ways by loving her husband, right? By caring for her kids, but by being in that position. This is only one example, y'all. I'm not saying all women got to be there. Please don't throw that on me. But imagine what that does. So these older women are actually influencing the whole community. See, we underestimate the internal relationships, right? Maybe that husband is one of them young men out of control. Older woman, mature woman. Hey, young woman, this is how you love, love your husband and minister to him. And she ministers to him with love. And trust me, love is powerful. Look what Jesus did with love. That's why we have women shepherds. Because I believe scripture calls there to be women who are reverent, if you will, who are called to, to help us think about the whole thing. And, and love can change the world. But, but, but also our women shepherds can minister to us, the elders. See what we're missing. You see, the Bible is teaching that there is no life stage connected from the other. 
right? No life stage disconnected from some kind of oversight and ministry of the elders and no group is not under the direction of the word of God. I say this because it is easy to become the beginning and the end of your life stage. Whether you're leading or participating in a group or in some way where it becomes an island of your life stage, everyone in every life stage to stay alive, to stay a fruitful, godly believer and not alienate themselves and others on complaint and navel-gazing for our type's island must be both connected in relationship with someone over you and then there must be a pouring out from you into another life stage and space that is not like your own. Stagnancy, if you're the dead end of ministry, me, 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 just minister to me. I just need, a, I just need an older woman in my life. I just need an older man in my life. I just need discipleship. And there is no pouring out someplace else. You know what stagnancy creates? Disease, right? Rust and, and just nastiness. And, and what the Bible is saying is the, the way grace works is it, it has to keep flowing. And so I ask you, not, hey, how's the ministry serving me? But who are you pouring into? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your husband. But who? It's talking to we talk about the youth ministry at one point, and, and one great example uh, Elder Dave Griggs brought is, he, Greg, he was telling us how at his church, you know, automatically the people who are teenagers minister to the kids who are in elementary school. And the singles minister to some of the college age and some of the, like it, it was, and not that we have to do that here, but I just want you to know, there is no age or place or space or life stage where the grace of God shouldn't flow to you and through you. That's what keeps you alive. My life, my, my spiritual life, it just, it just feels so dead. Maybe because you're a dead end. Especially if you're young, y'all. I'm trying so hard not to let this be a two-hour sermon. But you know, when you get in the pastoral epistles, I want to pastor y'all from this point. If you're young, you think you see it. You think you get it all. You need direction and connection. If you just spend time judging everybody who's on top, it's a sign something's wrong. You write. Being right is the most dangerous place for a young person to be. Being righteous through Christ, that's different. And that means not only do you need somebody like older or more mature than you, sometimes you need to be able to humble yourself in your peer relationships. You know, I had Amari, Pastor Amari Hill, and Pastor Josh Kim minister to me this week in a very tough place. You know what it took? It, it, it took like humbling, like Bending lower so they could pour into me. I can't be a dead end either. Or this congregation will suffer from the position I'm in. 
basically, you know? Ask yourself, are you submitted to the body and the whole and oversight through a trusted discipleship relationship over you? Who is connected to teaching and overseeing ministry of the church? And who, right? Hear this one. Who is your life stage pouring into? Let me close. Look at verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Um, we're going to come back to this passage next week too, so I'm just going to talk about it a little bit, but I think we are tempted to lose hope wherever we are in life. Single mom, husband, teenager, college age, and on and on. And it is easy to feel disconnected from the big picture. Unworthy of God's love. I mean, wherever you are right now, it's almost like you're looking through a pinhole, right? Like, where's my purpose? I'm really suffering in this place right now. It's easy to feel like it's easy to give up and give into futility and sorrow and, and depression to accepting being lonely and cut off from feeling that God sees you and even cares about you. And when it talks about older women, don't be given them much wine. I mean, it makes sense because I think we want to pour our lives into some vice, into some anger, into some self-deprecating situation when we aren't connected. I've experienced many of those phases, life stages, not all. I experienced God being faithful to embrace me at each point and keep me spiritually healthy and alive. When I was a young man, a young father, a young pastor, and the same for my wife, never, we would have never made it without the kind of grace, God's grace in relationships like that. And I know what it's like to not have it, to live in death, confusion and bitterness to not have a father if you will in the ministry as a senior pastor my wife as first lady called to our to our you know called the way we are I've learned to keep mentors not for professional development I can read a book but someone to be like a father big brother a mother big sister, seeing me, joining into my life, speaking to where I am. And when they do that by God's grace, the scripture is teaching, God is seeing me and speaking to me. These relationships are not a bonus. They are the way God connects you to his grace. If you're not knowing God's grace today, you have to ask yourself, are you connected? It's the way, like, where you are is connected. Like, it's like a string. And these relationships, and it, it kind of connects you to the, that eternal, final glory of God, pulling you where you are to it. That you would not lose hope here, but that you would continue on until we get there.
with Christ, with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the specialty ministry you give us. Many of us do feel the lack and longing for relationship, of oversight, of the ministry of grace. And we've dried out, Lord, because the flow of grace has not reached us. I pray for the church because it's an ongoing process to care for those who may feel alienated, who may feel like they're on an island. I pray that you would call those of us who are just not awake in our role, who, who, who despise and don't see how far God has brought us where we are, that we wouldn't share that with other people. Wake us up, Lord to the grace and be grateful and appreciative to who you've called us to be, that we'd be open to be fed and then feed each other. Lord, I pray for this diverse church. Man, it's easy to feel like you're just not in. I pray that you would do a supernatural work that only your spirit can do. Please connect us that we can know that we have ultimate hope and glory in Christ Jesus as we have these relationships. This I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.